Hello, I'm Aaron Lohr, and this is the Endocrine News Podcast. If you're like me, you know sleep is important, but sometimes you just don't get enough. And without enough sleep, maybe you're grumpy or find it harder to focus on things. But are there other metabolic and neuroendocrine effects from short sleep that we don't know about? That's what we're talking about today as we look at a study presented at Endo 2023 titled Metabolic and Neuroendocrine Adaptability Following One Night of Partial Sleep Restriction in Dutch Males. Joining me is an author of that study, Dr. Iris Pelsma from the Leiden University Medical Center. Thank you for being here today, Dr. Pelsma. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. It's been great to be at Endo 2023. I must say it's my first time at Endo. Oh. So I'm really, really glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Endo has been fantastic. Those of you listening who may not know, this is the last day of the wonderful four-day meeting. So we're all still on our Endo high. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Excited. Definitely. First of all, yes. what constitutes short sleep and what do we know about the health effects of short sleep? It's actually quite an interesting and difficult question to answer, maybe. But if we look at it from a broad point of view, short sleep is sleeping too little for your own good, Mm -hmm. which is highly individual, of course. But that's kind of the broad definition of it. And short sleep usually also entails circadian misalignment so that you don't sleep when you are supposed to be sleeping, Uh. like when it's dark outside. So it's multiple components. But let's keep it at it's too short for your own good. <laughs> and I think a lot of people who are listening right now are saying, that sounds like me. You know, yes. I don't really sleep at the right times or sleep as long as I should. Yes. Um, so we know some things about short sleep we that do. being good for us. We do. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So short sleep duration, especially when you look at it chronically. So if there are individuals who sleep less like every night or a lot of nights for years on end, it's been associated with so many types of diseases and I'll focus on the metabolic ones. So cardiovascular disease, obesity, overweight, insulin resistance, and therefore, yeah, it's a, that's a pretty scary list. Already. Yes. I mean, yes. If there's more. <laughs> yeah. There's some things that we don't know yes. yet. So what did we not know that you wanted to learn through your study? What we did not know yet is what happens after one night of partial sleep restriction, which everyone has done before or mm-hmm. has had done to them before <laughs> because of children or yeah. pets or, or other endo. <laughs> yeah, or endo yes or, or travel like yeah, i yeah. did but what we didn't know is how that one night links to the chronic findings because what we did know of course is that one night of complete sleep restriction so not sleeping at all is really bad for you metabolically with the insulin resistance already coming up also, if you do partial sleep restriction for multiple nights on end, so you do sleep for a few hours and you're awake for a few hours, that also results in insulin resistance and glucose abnormalities. But what we didn't know is whether the one night of the partial sleep restriction results in changes like during the day following that night and whether that is linked to the changes that we see in the chronic. Well, that's an uh, interesting thing sleep. to look at. Yeah. Yeah, let's jump into that. Can you tell yes. us a little bit about your, your study? What did you do? Yeah, so what, what did we do? Well, we included a quote-unquote healthy Dutch males, so males above years of 18, and they were otherwise healthy. So we screened them. They had no abnormalities in the lab when they just came in. They were regular sleepers, so they would usually sleep eight hours a night every night, 
and they would go to bed at regular hours during their normal life. And then we randomized them to either undergo the short sleep condition first or the normal sleep condition first, and then they would switch with a three to six weeks time in between to have a washout period to have those changes disappear. Mm-hmm. And following those conditions, we would measure them the day following. Okay. So the, during the whole day, and they would wake up, they would have an indirect calorimetry measurement, which is where you measure the ingoing and outgoing air. And there you look at, are they actually using carbohydrates or lipids as their energy source? We looked at blood, we looked at uh, saliva, we also looked at their muscle. So we did a muscle biopsy of their quadriceps muscle, so their upper leg. After that, they got their first meal, so their breakfast meal. And we waited for three hours while that meal was absorbed and used up as an energy source. And then they got their lunch meal. And then we also waited three hours after that to see whether those morning meals and, the, and lunch meals were any different regarding their metabolic adaptability. Can I ask yeah. about the quadricep muscle measurement? Yes, yes. Why was that important to the study? Well, we know that insulin resistance, you can measure that in blood. So you can see the high glucose, the, the deficient insulin. But... It, the insulin is produced, of course, by the liver and then is used by the muscle to actually use the glucose that you have to get your energy. So the muscle is, of course, a really big part of our body, uses a lot of energy, and it needs to be insulin sensitive to use the glucose that the body has. So if it's not insulin sensitive, so it's insulin resistance, the muscle cannot use the glucose that is available from your meal. And that's why we really wanted to look at the muscle, yeah. And what did you find? A lot. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so the, the one night of partial sleep restriction is quite a, a subtle change, right? So you, there have been studies done that have looked at those partial sleep restrictions for nights on end and then assessed the patients and, and, or, or individuals. And what, what we did was just the one night. So the change that we saw when they were fasting after that one night was that we saw their increased free fatty acid levels at the normal wake-up time. So we measured them at their normal wake-up time. So the individuals with the sleep restriction, they had been awake for a few hours because the sleep restriction paradigm, which I forgot to say, is that we restricted their sleep two hours in the beginning and two hours at the end. So the normal sleep people were allowed to sleep from 11 to 7 a.m. And the sleep-restricted individuals were allowed to sleep from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. And we specifically chose that paradigm because that paradigm results in the same structure of the sleep stages. So I won't go into all the details about sleep, but usually you have light sleep, deep sleep, REM sleep. Mm-hmm. And there's a distribution of that, of those stages when you have a normal night. And if you restrict the hours in the end and at the beginning, you keep that structure only shorter in the amount of time. So that's why we also really love this paradigm because it's not that you alter the sleep stages you just alter the duration of sleep. Understood, okay. Yeah, so when they were at their normal wake-up time, so 7 a.m., the sleep-restricted individuals showed much higher free fatty acid levels, which was also reflected by their fasting uh, calorimetry measures, where we could see that they were actively using lipids as their energy source over uh, glucose, which is like normal because they were awake fasting for two hours longer than the other individuals were. And the other measures, I must say, so glucose, insulin, incretins, cholesterol, other lipids were all equal between the normal sleep and the sleep restriction. So it's just the free fatty acids that were affected by the sleep restriction when they were fasting. And then we gave them their meal 
and the meals that they got, so the, the breakfast and the lunch meal were exactly the same and it was a mixed meal. So that is a liquid meal consisting of um, carbohydrates, proteins, lipids, and it's all very standardized. So everyone got the same meal, both for breakfast and for lunch. So they first got their breakfast and a few minutes after their breakfast, we did the muscle biopsy. We looked at the muscle, we looked at it in two different ways. So we looked at the metabolome, so the, the active metabolites, so the, the proteins that were in the muscle cells. And we found no differences between the sleep restriction paradigm and the normal sleep, which sounds like good news. Sounds okay. Yes. <laughs> and then we looked at the transcriptomics, so actually which genes were expressed or not expressed or these expression levels were changed after the sleep restriction. And we found that, the, especially when we looked at individual genes, when we account for all the testing that we did, we didn't find any great one gene changes after the sleep restriction. But if we put all the significantly changed genes, so on slightly changed genes, we put them in the pathway analysis. So that, that is a tool where you look at, okay, these genes are all in the same pathway. Are these pathways affected by the sleep restriction? We did find pathways that were oh, affected. So there are genetic transcription changes that we see, and they can be divided into multiple categories of pathways. So the one we saw was the mitochondrial function. So the mitochondria, of course, are the energy sources or the energy creators of the cell, so they use a respiratory cycle to create energy for the cell. And we saw that after sleep restriction, those pathways were actually altered. And we believe that they were dysfunctional in a way or less functional after the sleep restriction. And we also found a few extracellular matrix pathways that were affected. So we know that, of course, cells are in a matrix where they actually, and they adhere to other cells of the same type, but they also need an extracellular structure and there, the pathways that sort of degrade that kind of structure were also um, upregulated. So they were up. So there was a little bit of dysregulation there of the muscle cells. So the changes that we saw were quite subtle. So if you actually look at the metabolome, nothing happens in the muscle. But if you look at the transcriptome, there are subtle changes that we see. And then I can go into the breakfast, actually, the effect of breakfast. What we saw is that upon the breakfast, we see that the glucose peak that you normally expect every time that you eat, there is carbohydrate in the meal and you expect glucose to go up. That is really normal. Mm -hmm. And in people with insulin sensitivity, the glucose gets way too high because the insulin is not able to get the glucose from the blood into the cells. So that's basically what happens when you insulin sensitivity. And what we see after sleep restriction is that the peak that we see is slightly later after the meal. So in the normal sleep individuals, you see the normal peak where you expect it around 30 minutes, and then it goes down again to normal levels in the blood because of course the normal human body wants to keep those levels tightly regulated and wants, allows for some excursions, but really loves it to go back to normal. Mm -hmm. And after the sleep condition, you see that the glucose peak comes way later. So there's less uptake of the glucose from the meal into the bloodstream. And you don't see concurrent changes in the insulin levels per se, but we do see that, of course, because of that shift to the right with, with the peak occurring between 60 to 90 minutes, depending on the individual, we do think that the body is insulin insensitive. It doesn't mm. react to the same level of insulin as it would in a normal condition. Also, what we observe is after the meal, the 
total cholesterol levels and the LDL cholesterol levels were significantly lower. Which of course was interesting because normally if you have a metabolic syndrome, uh, you see that those cholesterol levels are up. And now we saw that they were slightly lowered. And we believe that that is because of the structures that hold lipids in the blood and hold the free fatty acids are being used up more because of course the free fatty acids are up. They are used for energy source after the sleep restriction. So of course you give lipids in the meal as well. And the body wants to use those lipids over the glucose because it's still in a state of uh, fasting lipid oxidation. So it prefers to use up the uh, lipids that you get. So that's really interesting actually. And it was the opposite of what we expected to see, which is really interesting. And then everything actually goes back to normal. So if you look at the three hour mark after the breakfast, the normal sleep condition and the short sleep condition are the same. So Hmm. you see that, okay, you you get those meal, you see those subtle changes in the body. And then at the time where the meal is sort of used up and you're back into a normal state, both the conditions are are equal. How interesting. So it's actually really interesting. And then after that, they of course got their lunch, which is the same meal as they had at their breakfast. And you see a different pattern of reaction. So we saw completely normal glucose peak after the sleep restriction condition. So the normal sleep condition and the sleep restriction condition were the same. You see the normal peak, but in the sleep restriction studies, you see significantly lower insulin levels Hmm. needed to get that normal insulin peak. So in, in the beginning, you see altered glucose levels, but normal insulin levels. And then in the afternoon, you see normal or similar glucose levels and altered insulin levels, or in this case, lowered insulin levels, which also indicates that there's something going on with the insulin sensitivity because all of a sudden you need less insulin to get to the same level of glucose. So it feels like the body is trying to adapt to this condition. That's what it feels like. Or, I mean, scientists shouldn't be feeling about their data, (laughs) right? But (laughs) but that's that's what we think. Sure, we get insights. Yeah. 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 So there's sort of, they're like trying to get it all calibrated to normal levels. And the same results that we saw for the total cholesterol levels in the morning meal, we saw the same in the afternoon. So those effects were the same. This is a study that's looking at one night of restricted sleep. Let's say that this was a a pattern. This was a lifestyle for somebody. That's the way that I sleep every night for maybe, you know, two weeks, you know, straight. And in your study, what you saw is like by lunch, you know, maybe some of the things kind of started to normalize a bit. What if it wasn't just a one night though? What if it was this is like almost every night. Do you think that the changes would be more long lasting or? We do. We do think that in, in the beginning of the, before doing the study, we hypothesized that there would be a sort of additive or aggravating effect, right? Oh, mm-hmm. during the day. So we, we thought, oh, it might be getting worse during the day. But in this case, it actually, it didn't, right? So it, it got back to normal. But what we think happens and what also others, um, researchers have shown other groups is that the longer you sleep deprive yourself, the worse off you are. So we feel that the changes that we see now after one night are the most subtle that you will see. So the longer you sleep deprive, the more pronounced and maybe irreversible the changes that we observe might be. 
we, we don't know, right? So we right. haven't we haven't done that study yet. But um, it, I would it love might to know be. about that. That was gonna be one of my follow up questions. Yes. If someone was doing that for yes. weeks on end, you know, it sounded like, in, and you're saying at some point the body wanted to sort of wanted to normalize, you know. Yes. Does it get to a spot where maybe it can't, you know, where it's irreversible? I, I, yeah. I think so. I think so. And that's why we see all those associations, right? So with the chronic short sleepers and also the night shift workers, so the people yes. who, who might be sleeping eight hours but sleep at the wrong time of day because they sleep during the day and not at yeah. night. You see that they have very pronounced changes. And so I feel that the longer you would do this, the more pronounced and also irreversible the effects would mm-hmm. be. And, and, and I really do feel that muscle but also adipose tissue which we haven't haven't looked at yet uh, but we will in the future are the the two major uh, contributing organs as well as the liver because it produces all those lipids and also the growth factors so it's very so that's where we will go we'll be going i think that was one of my last yeah. question is yeah. what do we still need to know about you know sleep health and where do you see your research taking you next yes so we, we are really interested in the prolonged sleep restriction studies, of course, because we, we really would love to show that those changes are maybe not linearly, but <laughs> another relationship are, are related. So they get, they get worse over time and worse when you sleep deprive individuals longer. But we also really want to get into the mechanistics of it. So w- w- what is really happening in those muscle cells? What is really happening in the adipocytes? So the, the fat cells, what, what is happening there and we feel that there there is a need going unmet right now mm-hmm. so that that's basically where, where we where i would love to be going next fantastic this was a wonderful conversation we are out of time but dr pelzma thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing this wonderful work yeah and I, I loved it. It's great. My first podcast experience has been great. <laughs> I would love to be doing it next. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, you know, as you learn more through this, I'd yes. love to have you back on. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. That would be great. Yeah. That's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. One thing that helps me sleep better at night mm-hmm. is knowing we have plenty of great endocrine stories to share with you. If there's a topic you'd like to hear us cover on the podcast, you can let me know by emailing me at podcast at endocrine.org. And a big thank you to everyone who already shared their great ideas. Until next time, thanks for listening. Endocrine News Podcasts are a free service of the Endocrine Society. To learn more or to become a member, visit the Society's website at www.endocrine.org.